0: of the eyewitness testimony within the Gospels is overwhelming. There is no doubt that the modern church in America has failed its people by not teaching them the earliest stages of church history. Apostolic succession paved the way to preserve the New Testament text. Welcome to another episode of Facts. I'm your host, Stephen Boyce. We're going through a series on the 12 apostles, the group of the 12, although we're going to be covering more than 12. And today is one of the reasons why we're going to be doing more than 12, because there's some dispute about the man by the name of Matthias. Was he actually one of the 12? Does he belong in the apostleship? After all, Jesus didn't choose him. Perhaps Paul was the 12th, and this was man's doing, and Matthias is actually the choice of man, not of God. How did the early church see Matthias? Did they see him as an apostle? These are the kind of questions I want to look at today, because I think Matthias is an interesting character, not only in the fact that we don't know much about him, there's also controversy about his history, but there's controversy about his apostleship. And not to mention, he was next on the list that was voted for by the fans of the show. So there's a lot of reasons why we're doing Matthias today. Let's talk about him, because we don't know anything about him earlier in the Gospels. I mean, we see the other names. We even see later on the writings of the New Testament, clearly indicating that Paul was an apostle of Jesus Christ. He had to defend his apostleship. He wrote of his apostleship. He was recognized in his apostleship. So is there actually 13? If Matthias is in and then Paul is in, there's actually 13 apostles, right? Well, remember, we kind of talked about this group of the 12 uh, patterning itself after the 12 tribes of Israel. And I find it interesting that if you go back to the episode I did on that, one of the things we talked about is that there's actually 13 tribes. Uh, The the Levites were not given land, and Joseph's sons were split into two tribes, Ephraim and Manasseh. And so there's actually 13, if if you count it. Seems like that would be interesting if that parallel even maintained not just in the 12 tribes having 12 apostles, but actually if you break it down, interestingly enough, it's actually 13. Perhaps there's a similarity there or not. But Matthias is not mentioned in the Gospels. We do not see him directly by name until Luke's account in Acts chapter 1. And then we don't see anything about him after that ever again in the New Testament. So apparently he is a part of the group that Luke had referred to earlier in his Gospel as the 70 or the 72, depending on the manuscripts. There were other eyewitnesses, and we need to just establish that in our minds and our hearts. There were more than 12 who had seen and been with Jesus from a very beginning. You had women, you had other men, and of the men, he sent out the 70 or 72, two by two. But one of the things we learn about Matthias through Peter, as recorded by Luke and Acts, he was with Jesus from the beginning of his ministry all the way to the very end and was a witness— of his resurrection. And I want to pick up there before we get into the history on him outside of scripture and actually see what scripture says about him. It says, In those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples. Altogether, the number of the names was about 120. All right, so right there, you have just in this statement alone, 120 disciples who gathered after the resurrection and said, this is Peter speaking to them, Men and brethren, This scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke before by the mouth of David concerning Judas, being Judas Iscariot, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus, for he was numbered with us and obtained part in this ministry. Now this man purchased a field and the wages of iniquity and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, all of his entails gushed out. And became known to all those dwelling in Jerusalem. So the field was called in their own language, Akeldama, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the Psalms, and he's going to quote Psalm 69, 25. Let his dwelling place be desolate, and no one live in it. And then he quotes Psalm 109, verse 8. Let another take his office. Now I want to point to this Psalm 109, verse 8, because there's some controversy as it is related by the way Peter is using it. Peter used the most interesting perspective as to why Judas needed to be replaced. Two reasons. One, fulfilled prophecy. Judas was always meant to do this. He was prophesied ahead of time to have done this in Psalm 69. But then he takes this Psalm 109 verse 8 and begins to apply it to the fact that somebody should replace the office that is there. And the word that he uses here is where we get the word episcopate or, or bishop prick, if you would, as it was later related. But he uses scripture to demonstrate both, that Judas was intended to do this by prophecy, and his replacement was prophetic. Now, I don't want to take a lot of time to do exegesis in this video since we're doing character sketches, if you would, of individuals. And we're going to get to Judas and the controversy about him and his death between the Gospels and what is said here in Acts chapter number 1. But we find that Peter, looking back at Psalm 109 verse 8, finds that there should be a replacement of an office. Now, there's some difference here as well between the Septuagint as well as the Hebrew text themselves. But what he calls for here is bishopric, a, a leader, a oversight in the ministry, in the pursuit of Jesus and what's going to be his kingdom established through the church. And here's Peter realizing him, Mean controversy then comes with, well, who gets to make that decision? Who gets to make that decision? God or Peter? And it looks like what's about to happen in this text is this is man's way of creating an office space for somebody without consulting God the proper way. Well, let's keep reading and see if that's true. Therefore, of these men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out amongst us, beginning with the baptism of John, to the day when he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So here's Peter recognizing a qualifying act of what it takes for somebody to actually be an apostle that would have had to meet these criteria. They were with Jesus through his ministry from the beginning and were witnesses, the big one, witnesses of his resurrection. Now, with Matthias, he was apparently a part of that group that went out two by two, and he was with them all along. He was there for the miracles. He saw what Jesus did. He saw what Jesus had accomplished in his body. He had watched the death and the burial and the resurrection. He experienced many of the things that the others did. And they broke it down to two. Now there's about 120 people up there, but there weren't that many that actually could go back that far. So they broke it down to two that met the qualifications of what Peter just established. They proposed a man by the name of Joseph who is called Justice, and another man by the name of Matthias. And they prayed, and I want to point that out. Now, Peter is leading this meeting, but he's not the only one doing the decision-making or the inquiring. They prayed and said, Show which of these two you have chosen to take part in this ministry and apostleship, from which Judas, by transgression, fell. And he might go to that he might go to his own place. And they cast their lots. Notice this is in the plural. I think a lot of people miss over this. And they cast their lots, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. Now I hear you. Somebody out there saying, Well, Stephen, I mean, I mean, like, that's like gambling to make a decision in life. That's not how you make that kind of a decision. That's not how you establish truth. Now, let's keep in mind, just in a few verses later, we're going to see the amazing thing of the Holy Spirit coming. And up to this point, to the Holy Spirit indwelt and guides people the way that he does from the inside out. Up to this point, that had not been the case, per se. There is a scripture in Proverbs 1633 that establishes the casting of lots for making decisions that the Lord guides in. In fact, I'll read it to you. Proverbs 1633 reads The lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision, the lot's decision, is from the Lord. Now, now that is the sovereign hand of God leading and guiding in this way. That there are those who cast lots down and it seems to be a game of chance or a game of uncertainty. Of, But what we learn is it's actually not luck at all. God is in control of the decision making. So to say that this was done outside of God... Or not involving God is not true on two lines. The first, they all prayed to the Lord in this manner. And then they cast their lots. And in doing this, it landed on Matthias because they were practicing a Proverbs 16 mentality. We even see other illustrations of this where things like this could actually come to play, like in Proverbs 18. Ah, uh, the casting of lots ends a quarrel or a fight, separates strong opponents. We see the casting of lots being a regular occurrence that is used for decision making, and because the biblical texts demonstrate a sovereign God that doesn't believe uh, in a, an idea of chance or luck or, or or high probabilities in a sense, that even a lot that is landed is guided by the hand of a sovereign God. And they were following the practice of Proverbs 16 here, and in prayer to the Lord, and it lands at Matthias, and they numbered him with the other 11. So everybody was uh, in agreement on this. Now, could it be that we don't see God come in and say, uh, no to that, and yes to this? No, we don't see that. But I don't think it's as human-made situation, as people think. They were following the mandates of how to make decisions before the next chapter in Acts, when the Spirit comes. If God was a part of this, yes, Paul was on the horizon. But the ministry of the Twelve was very, very important long before Paul shows up. Paul didn't show up the next week, become a Christian, start converting people to Christianity, writing the New Testament text. It did not happen that way. This was being established early on. And so what I want to do is I want to dive into this, in this really the character Matthias, and look at the established work that he did as an apostle. And was he recognized as an apostle? I think he was. I think he was a part of the 12. I think Acts chapter 1 is reported on purpose. This was just another human decision. The narrator, who is moved by the Spirit, Luke, would have established some sort of statement stating, but this was not the real 12th apostle. Because after all, he is writing a ministry of the Acts of the Apostles. But not just the Acts of the Apostles, most of which is the apostle he traveled with, Paul. And if this was meant for Paul to be here, Luke, I believe, would have put some sort of disclaimer in the text stating this is not the real 12th guy. He was only called the 12th by the others. Now, with that also being said, we have to imagine ourselves here with Peter who's leading this thing with the others. Did Peter have the authoritative right to even lead this meeting, to make that kind of decision. After all, he's using scriptural precedents to make this decision. Did he have the right, did he have the authority to even call a meeting and do this work? I I think he did. I think he did. When Jesus told Peter on this rock, I will build my church, let's go ahead and, and hit the elephant in the room real quick. The evidence of the text, if you go to the Greek text here, you look at the grammatical structure, it is definitely talking about Peter, not the claim. Now, some have stated that Peter, the rock, Cephas, because remember, you have in English separation here. Peter, Petros. Then you have rock here, being translated different from name, and usage of the term rock. But really, they're the same word. Even if Jesus said it in Aramaic, it would have been the same way. The structure here is clearly talking about Peter. On this rock, not his proclamation. On this Peter, I will build my church. Peter is the leader of this group rightfully so and the apostles had no schism as to who should lead after jesus ascended there's no schism there, there's no debates john's not calling peter out you're not looking at thaddeus or bartholomew or any of these guys going uh, uh, excuse me excuse me uh peter who put you in charge Christ was going to use Peter with his proclamation to build the earliest stages of the church that would be led by his sermon in the very next chapter of Acts. But remember what he said. He said, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. So there is some authority. Now, there's a lot of context in Matthew 16 that this episode will not cover, and we'll get to it when we get to Peter. Peter is and was seen by all others in that room, not just the 11 that are around, but the 120 in that room. All look to Peter for leadership after Jesus left. That's undeniable and he was gathering people together in prayer and in in eating and in fellowship, waiting for the promise they were given. So I do think the leadership meeting was legit. It was an apostolic decision led by the individual that Jesus had instructed would be the one he'd build his church on, and that he would have authority to bind things and loose things, and that heaven itself would respond to the things he binds and loose and gives loose. So, so with all this being stated, we have to go back in our mindset here. We have to go back into Acts and think differently. This is not particularly about some sort of uh, who's in the 12th guy? Should it be Paul? Should it be Matthias? Is this a man-made thing? Is this a God thing? I think that we can look at it as both. And it doesn't have to be this direct number 12. We've seen that with the tribes, as I stated earlier. But I do think Matthias was legitimately chosen as an apostle. He was recognized by the others as an apostle. He was seen as the ch- by the church, we're going to see in a minute, as an apostle as well. So yes, I do believe Matthias should be numbered with the 12. Now, unfortunately, we don't have any writings of Matthias. There is a a document that was named after him, the Gospel of Matthias. Uh, Like most things, it's attributed to the name of an eyewitness, because once again, if you're trying to get some sort of statement together to sell the church on something, you need an eyewitness, and we just saw he was a very good eyewitness, to have your name for validity. Uh, There's some fragments of this, and and many of the early fathers stated it was heretical, probably second century. Uh, But there's also other works, too, attributed to Matthias. We have a Coptic uh, manuscript, which, again, makes you kind of be skeptical when you start seeing Coptic manuscripts. Uh, Not that all of them are bad. We have good New Testament Coptic manuscripts very early, by the way. Um, but there are stories or writings or the apostles' name on it in Coptic. Most of those fell to the heretical Gnostic group. But there is a document known as the Acts of Andrew and Matthias, which I'm going to read some excerpts from in a minute. But when we look at these documents, they have attributed stories and messages and eyewitness testimonies to Matthias. The fact that anybody would even forge a gospel in his name demonstrates the validity of his importance to the churches and to Jesus himself, and that even the Gnostics would utilize his name to try to validate their writings. So we do, yes, we do have writings in his name, some in fragmented, some uh, Stories that are, in my opinion, more about Andrew than Matthias, although he's mentioned. And I'll read again an excerpt in a minute, but it's really more about Andrew than it is about Matthias. But he is along the title and the name with Andrew. So let's kind of talk about Matthias's ministry. Do we know what happened to him once he was chosen with the other 11 to be the 12th guy? Did he have a ministry? Did he die? Was he a martyr? What happened to the guy? Do we, do we even know? Well, there's a couple of things. We see, according to Nesiphorus, he first preached the gospel message to the area of Judea, which, honestly, almost all of them did, not to be surprised there. But then it states that he went over into the area of Ethiopia, and he was killed and crucified there in that area. Now, we're going to come back to that region in a minute because there are other claims of his goings. Now, Hippolytus of Rome, on the other hand, he actually states, and by the way, he includes Matthias in his listing of the 12 in the apostles when he goes down their names and who they were. And he places him not only within the group of the 70, but he also places him as one of the 12. So he obviously saw him as an apostle in a legit apostle, as did others like uh, Nisiphorus. Now, when we go into other texts, for example, it states in the synopsis of Dorotheus, Matthias preached the gospel to barbarians and cannibals in the interior of Ethiopia. Okay, now we're getting closer because Nisiphorus makes claim you went to Ethiopia after Judea. Hippolytus of Rome did say he went and stayed in the Judea-Jerusalem area, and there he just died of old age. So there is a discrepancy about where he died, how he died. There's no discrepancy that he spent time in Jerusalem, which none of us should be shocked by that. But so far, we have this synopsis, and also Nesiphorus stating that Matthias was in Ethiopia, but... But the synopsis of Dorotheus actually tells us that he was there with cannibals. Barbarians and cannibals. And then it stated that um, he went in, uh, he died there and was buried near the Temple of the Sun. Now, we don't know exactly from this text what kind of martyrdom death he experienced. It didn't you say that he was a martyr. Now, Nesiphorus did, but we don't have anything that states specifically how he died other than he did die in Ethiopia, and actually he was buried there. Now, Clement of Alexandria observed this. He says, not that they became apostles through being chosen for some distinguished peculiarity of nature, since also Judas was chosen along with them, but they were capable of becoming apostles on being chosen by him who foresees even ultimate issues? Matthias, accordingly, who is not chosen along with them on showing himself worthy of becoming an apostle, is substituted for Judas. So Clement actually demonstrates that he is he is a part of the apostleship, though not chosen the way Judas was, but that he proved worthy and that God, through Jesus, knowing the future of what was going to happen to Judas, also made provision to train a man in the process to one day replace him. So you have Hippolytus of Rome, you have Clement of Alexandria, none of them have a problem with him being an apostle. But again, we, we are trying to get some sort of work that helps us see the history of him and where he went. Now, the main tradition is that he was around the coasts and near the Caspian Sea of Cappadocia, which is in in the Turkey area for sure. Now, the question is, which area did he go? Because we're seeing Jerusalem, we're seeing Cappadocia, we're seeing Ethiopia. Where did he go? Where did he die? It's very difficult to actually place his specifics of his ministry. Now, I'd like to think that perhaps, perhaps, he was in all three. It's it's very possible. If he was in Ethiopia or in the areas of Georgia, which, again, we talked about Andrew before in the previous episode as being in that area, perhaps... Andrew and Matthias were near to each other. Now, in the Acts of Andrew and Matthias that I mentioned earlier, we see him in the Ethiopia region. And there, he was arrested, being Matthias. Now, at that point, Matthias is arrested. I want to read the story to you or sections of the story, even though I think it's a little far-fetched. Perhaps we have, and I'm using the word perhaps a lot, because I want you to hear me say, we actually don't know with Matthias whether he was beheaded, as some said, after stoning, or crucified, or went to Jerusalem and died an old man, which I think is the most unlikely and less plausible, there does appear to be a statement that he was in the Ethiopia region, at least, with cannibals. In the story, it states this in the Coptic manuscript, while Matthias was thus praying in the prison, a light shone. And there came forth out of the light a voice saying, Beloved Matthias, receive your sight. And immediately he received his sight, and again there came a voice saying, Be of good courage, our Matthias. Be not dismayed, for I shall not by any means forsake you. For I shall deliver you from all danger, and not only you, but all of your brethren who are with you. For I am with you everywhere and at all times, but remain here 27 days for the edification of many souls. And after that, I will send forth Andrew to you, and he shall lead you forth out of this prison. Not only you, but all who hear. Having said this, the Savior again said to Matthias, Peace be to you, our Matthias. He went in heaven, then Matthias Having beheld him, said to the Lord, let your grace abide with me, O my Lord Jesus. Now, I will say this at this point. I, again, so he's about to be in prison. Uh, well, he is in prison. He was put in the prison. And then he's about to be eaten uh, by cannibals. So he's about to become dinner to humans. He's on uh, standard days. You are on a countdown after a certain amount of time. Uh, and and so is everybody else in this prison. They're all on standby to be eaten. Apparently, Jesus comes to Matthias in some sort of vision and tells him, 27 uh, days, I want you to minister to these people. I'm going to send Andrew. He's going to get you out of here. And all of the others that are with you that you're going to minister are going to be released. Now, I don't know how true this is, but one of the lines I like the most in here is where Matthias prays, let your grace abide with me, O my Lord Jesus. I like that. Again, whether they came off the lips of Matthias or not, this is just a legend. The idea that God's grace, even in the midst of not just prison, but prison that awaits cannibalism. To ask and plead with Jesus to let his grace remain and abide with him. That is what Matthias was clinging to. Now, later on, it says, Andrew went into the city along with his disciples. No one beheld him. Now, up to that point, I'll fill you in. Jesus came to Andrew and said, uh, I want you to go to the land of the cannibals and go out and, and go save Matthias. Andrew pretty much argued with Jesus, said it's not possible. There's no way I can get there in time. Don't Why don't you just send an angel to free him? Jesus pretty much tells him, do what I say. And so Andrew comes. And here he is entering into the city. And when he came to the prison, he saw seven warders standing at the gate guarding, and he prayed within himself, and they fell down and died. And he marked the gate with the sign of the cross. And it opened on its own accord. There's the secret code. So the gate's locked. Uh, needs a pass key and needs some sort of code. He types in the sign of the cross and it just so happens that's the one that opens the gate, right? Uh, Again, I understand a lot of this is probably legend, but but carry on with the story and, and see where it is. And having gone in with his disciples, he found Matthias sitting and singing. And seeing him, he stood up and they saluted each other with a holy kiss. He said to Matthias, brother, how have you been found here? For yet three days, and they will bring you out to be food for them. Where are the great mysteries which you have been taught and the wonderful things which you have believed? And Matthias said to him, "Do Did you not hear the Lord saying, I shall send you like sheep in the midst of the wolves? Now that's interesting. Because what we're finding in this quote, and again, we are skeptical of it. He's asking Andrew, Do you not remember, do you not remember what Jesus said about being sheep amongst wolves? Because what that indicates to us is that he was there. Now, Matthias is referring to Matthew 10. And he's reminding Andrew as if he was there with Matthias and said, remember what Jesus told us? So again, but we don't need this to prove that Matthias was an eyewitness. We have Acts chapter 1 to do that. But it is interesting. He's reminding Andrew of a time when they were with Jesus earlier on. They straightway brought me into prison, and I prayed to the Lord, and he said to me, Remain here 27 days, and I will send you, Andrew, and he'll bring forth you out of the prison. And now, behold, it has come to pass, as the Lord said. Then later on, it says, then he stood up and Andrew and Matthias prayed. And after the prayer, Andrew laid his hands on the faces of the blind men who were in the prison. Straight away, they all received their sight. And again, he laid his hands on their hearts. Their minds were changed into human reason. Then Andrew answered them, rise up, go into the lower parts of the city. You'll find a way at the fig, a great fig tree and sit under the fig tree and eat of its fruit until I come to you. But if I delay coming there. You will find an abundance of food for yourselves, for the fruit shall not fail from the fig tree, but according as you eat, it shall produce more fruit and nourish you. As the Lord has said, and they answered and said, Andrew, go along with us, our master. Let us perchance the wicked men of this city again see us and shut us up and inflict upon us great and more dreadful tortures than they have afflicted. And Andrew answered and said, go, for in truth I say to you, That as you go, not a dog shall bark with his tongue against you. (laughs) That'd be nice. You leave the city, no dog's going to bark at you. You're not even going to get barked at by animals, okay? And there were 170 men and 49 women who Andrew released from the prison. And the men went and blessed Andrew and said to them, he made Matthias go along with his disciples out of the eastern gate of the city. And Andrew commanded a cloud cloud took up Matthias and the disciples of Andrew, and the cloud set them down on the mountain where Peter was teaching, and they remained beside Peter. Now, that part gets weird. So they leave the city. They go out the east side of the gate, men and women. And later on, Andrew ends up facing a lot of this, dealing with it. And and again, let's read the story. There's English translations of it. But Matthias is carried up, taken back to Peter, along with those other people. Cloud picks him up, carries him. Must be nice. Probably move faster than airplanes. I don't know. But again, once we see Matthias in history, we get these weird discrepancies about him. Now, do I think this story happened exactly the way we're reading it? No, I don't. Can we learn something from it? Sure. He went to the area of cannibals. He went to Ethiopia. Ethiopia. Now, in the story, he doesn't die there. Uh, We do see where statements are that he did end up dying. But we don't know exactly how. Some say he was crucified. Some say he escaped and ended up with Peter. Maybe he did. Maybe he went back to Jerusalem, retired in Jerusalem, died an old man. It's more likely that he was a martyr. Some say he was stoned and then beheaded. I do not believe we have a definitive answer of his death. I personally land with the fact that he died in Ethiopia. I don't know exactly how. Uh, perhaps he was crucified. I, I, I doubt the Ethiopians were crucifying. May, maybe they were. Stoned and beheaded, it eh, makes more sense. Could he have died for his faith? Very possibly. But he went into the area of Turkey as well. This, this area that goes out in the Turkish region. Spent time there. Spent time in Judea, Ethiopia, these regions. He seemed to have traveled a little bit and was not far From Andrew. So I like to believe that Matthias was a martyr, perhaps, of the church. So through tradition, he is a church leader of the churches of at least Ethiopia. Perhaps he contributed also in other regions of Cappadocia and even helped in Jerusalem for a while. And he was definitely seen as an important figure, as an apostolic figure. We talked about Clement. We talked about Hippolytus. He's listed. There's no dispute when Eusebius is reporting these others as referring to him as an apostle. There's stories of him as if he is an apostle. He is celebrated even in feast days. Uh, all, all of them actually seem to point to this. The Catholic Church, the Anglican Communion, Lutheran Church, they celebrate typically his feast around May 14th. Some celebrate like the Eastern Orthodox in August, uh, August 9th. Uh, others, other traditions in the Orthodoxy and in the Anglican Communions, uh, there's some in that would celebrate it with the Roman Catholics. Some do not. Some celebrate it later on. In February 24th, he is seen again as an apostolic man. Some would say that he died around the year 80 AD, somewhere in that region, early 80s. Again, very possible. Now, a lot of times you'll see pictures of Matthias with an axe in his hand. Because, again, so the, the story of the legend is that he was stoned and didn't die from the stoning, and then they took him out, chopped his head off. So a lot of sculptures, pictures, would show him in paintings as holding this axe, the very thing that killed him. Just like, you know, you got Andrew holding his X-shaped cross, or, uh, you know, Thomas having the spear because he was stabbed with spears. We've seen these figures and traditions And so, I don't think he was eaten by cannibals. I don't necessarily think he was killed by crucifixion. But I do think it's very possible he was stoned and then beheaded. I I think that makes the most plausible. And I think there's actually as little more evidence as there is. I do think it carries a little bit more weight than the others. And so, therefore, I, I think it's something that's worth investigating. Now, they claim to have, like many of the other apostles, the relics, the body, or parts of the body of of Matthias. I don't know why some have such a great fascination with these things. I I think it's cool. And I said that about Andrew. Uh, We'll talk about that when we get to Peter. I don't have a problem with us acknowledging, celebrating, Contributing to the life, the ministry of these men, it is no good to pray to them. As our Roman Catholic friends think, they're dead. Okay, they're dead. I don't think it'll help anybody. (laughs) Um, I think having their relics, the bodies, parts of the bodies, is cool from an archaeological, historical perspective. I don't think it gains us any closer to God by being next to the bones. I think it's neat. I'd like to visit some of these. But I don't think it's going to bring any special grace to those who pray over the tomb. Now, it's claimed that his body... Uh, and that his remains were brought to Italy through Empress Helena, the mother of Emperor Constantine the Great. Now, part of the relics would be later taken to a different region, and that's where the big debate is, honestly. In the area of Padova, which is in northern Italy. And so it is claimed that there is actually bones, relics, of the man, and it remains in Abbey of St. Matthias. Uh, Some say that it's also in Germany, so parts of it in Germany. There are sources that say the apostle is buried in the castle in the country of Georgia, which is possibly where he died. Sure, maybe again, some of the body Was taken to this part of the world, that part of the world, or that part of the world. Maybe it's in all three. Another reason why I say it's not that important. I think it's important, but not that important. Not important enough to where we lose our minds over this and think that we need to know so that God will bless his people. Or that God will answer prayers more efficiently or more effectively or some power, miracle, or healing is going to happen from touching the tombs of the apostles. Let them lay in rest. God will resurrect them one day. It'll be great. We'll be in the resurrection with them to those who know Christ. It'll be exciting. And we look forward to looking at their legacy and the foundation that Christ laid that they built on and we get to build on today. To me, that is worth celebrating the most. To me, that is worth investing the most, is studying their lives, their ministries, their works, and how and when and where they built on the foundation that Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone laid. And we get to be a part of that. We are building on that same foundation laid by Christ and built upon by the apostles and prophets. We are participants in this building process. And to me, there's more value in that than where their bones are laid that will one day be resurrected, whether they're their bones or another man's bones or somebody else's bones, their bodies will be resurrected, our bodies will be resurrected, we'll be with them in the resurrection, and God will sort all that out. But what is necessitated, what is foundational, no pun intended, is that we Build on that foundation of Christ that the apostles laid a massive work for us to work with. And I would imagine that the apostles were alive today, they would tell us to fancy our time and to spend our time building on what they started and continue advancing the kingdom of God into the world in any way, shape, or form and worry less about their bones. I would imagine that would be the um, conversation we have with them if they were around today. So this is Matthias. Uh, Yes, I believe he was one of the 12. Yes, I believe we should acknowledge him as an apostle. Uh, I do not think Paul gets in the way or anything like that of Matthias. We'll get to Paul. I think there were 13 when it was all said and done, just like the tribes. I do think Matthias was killed, probably beheaded ministered both in Judea, Cappadocia, and Ethiopia regions. Thanks again for tuning in to Facts. Stay tuned for new episodes. Grace and peace to you.